Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers the exiles of Israel, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. This is God's word. Do keep uh, Psalm 147 open. Let's pray and let's turn to God's word. Father God, we uh, thank you that you're a speaking God. We thank you that these words are not a record of things people once said about you but they are the voice of your Holy Spirit addressing your people right now. And so we pray that we would have a sense of awe and privilege that you would address us. And we pray that you would give us hearts that recognize your truth and respond rightly. Amen. Uh, If they made a movie of your life, who would play you? Who would play you? I perhaps foolishly asked my wife um, who should play me in the movie of my life and uh, yeah, got a bit grey hair now maybe she'll say George Clooney <laughs> we men we like to fool ourselves Brad Pitt he's also got grey hair he's even older than me uh, you know what she said Sandra Bullock <laughs> <laughs> seriously respect it's the cornerstone of a good marriage um, but let me ask you a much much more important question A much more important question, which is, what sort of movie do you think your life would be? Well, I was born, went to school, did some work, stuff happened, died, pretty dull. Or do you think your life would be one of those movies that is just pulsating with excitement and that finishes with everybody on a high and and just full of joy and, and thrill? Well, the extraordinary news of this psalm is that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you can know how your movie will end and you can know for sure that the ending will be unimaginably good. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you can know how the movie will end 
and you can know that the ending is unimaginably good. If you look at the psalm, you'll be scratching your head to work out how on earth we get that from this psalm. Let's have a look. Verse 1, verse 1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Have you ever wondered why it is that the, the Bible writers and Christians get so excited about praising God? It might seem a bit odd that in his word, God is always saying, praise me, praise me. Now, it is not because God is vain and egotistical like some shallow, insecure celebrity. The reason that God says to you and me, praise me, is because God is good and he loves you. God tells you to praise him because he's good and he loves you. You see, when we love people, we want to give them things that will make them happy. Uh, When uh, we got married, I gave my wife for our first Christmas together as her main present... An alarm clock. Um, yeah, uh, It was a really, really good alarm clock, but I do like to think that we both learned something from the experience and uh, certain changes have been made in the way that I choose presents for my wife since then. But God loves his children with a deep, undying, nothing is too much kind of a love. And God made you. He knows you better than you will ever know yourself. And God loves you enough that he would give his own son to die for you. And God wants to give you the best things. And God knows that you were designed to find fulfillment and delight and joy in knowing him. And so he calls you to love him, to praise him, because he knows that you will find deepest joy in delighting in him. Which isn't surprising when you remember uh, who God is. He's the never created, always existing God. He'll never get any better because he is already absolutely perfect. And because he's perfect, he'll never get worse. He is Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He has no needs, no flaws, no imperfections, no weaknesses. He is, in his his life as Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, the holiest, happiest being in all existence. There is no happier being in the cosmos than God. And when God created us, he created us so that we could join in and share this awesome relationship that he has at his heart. There is no greater privilege for human beings than to be somehow mysteriously drawn up into this life of God. To be adopted into this perfect family, sharing in this beautiful, rich, open, fun relationship between God, Father, Son and Spirit. And so if God were to to say, uh, find deepest joy in your career, find deepest joy in family, find deepest joy in relationships, he would be selling us short. But because he's a loving father, he wants you and me to be as happy as we can be. And therefore, he says, praise me. Because he knows as we delight in, as we praise him, you and I are sharing in the deepest joy of the universe. There is nothing better than being drawn up into the knowledge of the holy, happy God and praising him. Uh, The psalm then, uh, after verse 1, it really splits into three sections. Each one begins with a call to praise or sing or extol God and then reasons. A call to to proclaim God's praises and then reasons for why to do it. Uh, Firstly, section 1, verses 1 to 6, praise God, he's glorious and he's good. Praise God, he's glorious and he's good. So we're told, verse 1, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. Then, verse 2, 
The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. So Jerusalem, the city where figuratively God's people are safe behind the walls. So God is the builder who makes those massive walls that mean you and I are safe. He's also pictured as the one who goes out on search and rescue mission to, to bring us back when we're in danger and distress. Uh, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. When he's gathered us, he tends to us, uh, as broken and ravaged as we are from the stupid things we do from our own sin and the things that are done to us in a painful world. God is the one who loves us enough to go and rescue us and he is the one who can mend us and make us whole again. Verse 4, He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. He is the mind-boggling creator. So one of the the great joys of camping in the English countryside, I see Australians, what? Joy? Camping? England? No. There is. There are great joys in camping in the English countryside. Perhaps not until the summer, but there are great joys. And one of the great joys is that if, or should I say, when the clouds part at night and you've got out of the city and you stick your head out of the tent... You see these white things in the night sky that Londoners are very afraid of called stars. And uh, sometimes you think that there's a, a bit, it's a bit cloudy. There's a sort of dusky strip across the middle of the sky when it's very clear. Which is actually the Milky Way, which is the galaxy we're in. And you're, you're sort of looking at a, a cross section of it. And the Milky Way, I think, has uh, between two and four hundred billion stars. The Milky Way is one of an estimated 80 billion galaxies in the known universe. Which means there are, uh, for mathematicians here, 5 times 10 to the 22 stars, give or take a few trillion. Uh, For those of you who are not mathematical, uh, think of it in these terms. If you um, take the Shard or Canary Wharf Tower and you stacked one pound coins, you take a whole load of one pound coins and you stack them all around the world, covering the surface of the earth, up to a height that it gets to the top of Canary Wharf Tower. Pick one at random, God will know the name of the star. That's how many stars there are, and God knows the names of all of them, because he made them all. It's extraordinary. He is the creator, and there is none other. Verse 5, great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So he is awesome and mighty both in power and understanding. So he's no sort of weedy brain box, but nor is a sort of knuckle-dragging beefcake with a low IQ. He is both awesomely mighty and awesome in knowledge. That is the God of the Bible. Verse 6, he is morally good too. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. He looks after the humble, those who don't arrogantly assume, I know best. But those who humbly recognize, God, you are the very definition of good and evil. And therefore, I will go with what you say, even when culture says something different. While the humble can count on him as friend and defender, the wicked will be overthrown by the judge of all the earth. Now, it's a struggle to find a sort of theme in these verses. I was scratching my head over them. And I think... I think that may actually be the point. 
there is no one theme. You see, the gods of the pagan nations at this time were basically one-trick ponies. You sacrifice to this god over here to make sure you pass your exams, this god over here uh, to make sure uh, that your holiday goes well, this god over here to to get you a good relationship, this god over here to, to make sure that your career goes well. They all could only handle one thing, whereas the god of the Bible is a Tesco out-of-town superstore kind of a god. Everything you could possibly need, it's his. He provides it. All of it. He is the far-off creator who made every atom that twitches in our universe. But he's also the comforter to the brokenhearted. He is the one who generously provides all who look to him, but he's also the judge who will destroy the wicked. He is the only real God, and he is the God of everything and everyone. And so we are to praise him. Praise God. Praise God. For he is glorious and good. And then secondly, verses 7 to 11. Verses 7 to 11. Praise God, he delights in those who trust him. Praise God, he delights in those who trust him. Verse 7. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. It's an explicit call to use music. Uh, It doesn't mean you have to use a harp. Uh, It's not like we've just broken God's word by not having got pretty much every other instrument up here, but not a harp. Uh, but that's all right. It just means that's use instruments in the praise of God. Because the point is, sometimes when things are so good, you have to shout and sing. And God is so good that if you get who he really is and what he's really done, it's not enough to speak about him. You have to sing. You have to sing because he's just too good not to sing about And then two sets of verses tell us why in particular to praise him here. Verses uh, 8 to 9. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. God provides for his creation every drop of rain that falls on the earth and nourishes the plants is sent by God. And he knows where it will land. Every time an animal eats... It has been fed by God. And because of that, there is no room for pride in his creatures. He provides, and therefore we should have no pride. And that goes even for the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. Verse 10, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Now, for years, I've had to put up with comments about my skinny legs, which you just saw on the screen. Every summer, when the sun comes out and the shorts go on, I get the usual jokes about, do you have to wear skis in the shower so you don't fall down the drain? Or last time I saw legs like that, they were hanging out of a nest. I've heard them all. None of them will be original. Hear the word of the Lord. The pleasure of God is not in the legs of the warrior. Listen to God's word, you muscly-legged men. Listen and weep, I say. Okay. There's nothing wrong with legs or horses. God made both and God likes what he's made. So what's his point? Well, his point is that uh, in the Bible, in the Psalms, strong legs and horses, they're a a sort of a Hebrew way of talking about military might. A strong warrior riding on a strong horse is the military superpower of the day. And so he's saying, look, God's delight is not in people who have their own strength and are proud of their own strength. You see, uh, if we're reading these verses as modern people, the way to, to understand them is that what's in here is the things that we're tempted to, to look to, to put trust in, 
instead of God. The things where we think, if I've got that, I don't really need God. I wouldn't put it like that, but for some of us it is our physical bodies, our looks. For some of us it it is our brains. For some of us it's uh, the money in our bank account. For some of us it's our accent that we speak with, our social background. But for all of us, there are those things that, if we're honest, we'd be tempted to put our trust in to think, life's all right because I've got that. And when we put our hope in those things, they, we get the glory rather than God. But instead we're told here that God's delight, verse 11, is in those who fear him. Who trust not in our strength but in his unfailing love. You see it should be obvious, God made us, he gave us everything. It was he who put us into the family that gave us the education that gave us the opportunities, that gave us the career that we look to and think, I have made it. Everything you and I have is a gift from God and therefore none of us can take pride in what we have. If we are happy, wealthy and secure at the moment, relatively speaking, it is because God has given those things to us. And here we come really to the heart of the psalm and the heart of what it means to know God. Look again at verse 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Why does it say that after talking about uh, God's generous provision in verses 8 to 9? Why is it he then turns to uh, not taking pride in ourselves, but fearing? Well, to fear God in the Bible really is to treat God as God, to recognize there is a gap between me and God. He is a creator. I am created. He is perfect and holy. I am, yeah, mixed at the best of times. To fear him is just to recognize there is a gap between me and him. We're not dealing as equals when I deal with God. And this is a crucial point. Then how do you please, how do you delight the God who needs nothing from you? The God who gives everything that you have. How on earth can you please him? You can't give him anything because he doesn't need anything. So, so what do you do to please this God? Well, you please him by, by fearing him, by, which is to trust him, to turn to him, to look to him. By hoping in him, thanking him, praising him, enjoying him. And think of it, uh, you get a little picture of it with, um, with presents that we get. So it was my birthday quite recently and um, my wife's very nice. She got me these uh, new trainers or as you kids would say, these fresh crepes. Oh yes. (laughs) I am so street. Yeah. Um, Anyway, how should I respond to to a gift? Oh, I really like them. How much did they cost? Um, uh, Can I, can I pay you half this week and half next? What? That's not how you That's not how someone wants you to respond when they give you a gift. When someone gives you a gift, the way to respond is to thank, uh, to wear them, to enjoy them, to receive them. That's how you respond to one who gives a gift to you. And everything we have, not just our birthday presents, is a gift from God. And so we're meant to live our lives, not, not trying to earn things from him, Not trying to pay him for stuff, but recognizing, gosh, everything I have is a gift. And thanking him. And being humble. 
You know, I, I can't say, well, I chose some great trainers. How cool must I be? No, I didn't choose them. I was given them. Everything we have is a gift from God. And to fear him is to recognize that. It's the opposite, actually. To fear God is not the opposite of loving him at all. We're told almost equally in scripture to fear God and to love him. To fear God is the opposite of trusting myself. That's what it means. It's to say, God, you are everything I need. And I'd be a fool if I acted like I'm a self-made man and I can do all that I need. So fear him. Hope not in your ability to serve him or get by without him, but his ability to meet all your needs. Trust in his unfailing love, not in our strength and merit. That is a general principle for dealing with God, but it never gets more acute, more concentrated than when we think about why on earth would God accept a selfish sinner like me who lives my life for myself and ignores God? Why should he accept someone like me? Where is our hope when I wonder whether when I stand before God on judgment day, I'm going to get in or not? Where is my hope? I've always tried to do what's right. I'm basically a good moral person. I come along to church every now and then. I believe in God, even though I may not be massively regular and religious. As if God should be impressed by the fact that I'm not a criminal and I believe he exists. Our hope, verse 11, is in his unfailing love. A thousand years after this psalm was written, God's unfailing love took flesh and became a human being. He made his dwelling among us as Jesus Christ, God in human flesh. And he did that to die on a cross. He became human so that he could die as a human in the place of humans who deserve to die. Humans like you and me. He became a human so that he might take the punishment you and I deserve so that you and I might be accepted and loved by God. And perhaps even this evening will be the moment for some here when we stop trying to deal with God on the basis of I hope I'm good enough, I'll try to do, I'll I'll, I'll pay you back, I'll, I'll somehow be, you know, I'll make my way before you God and we accept instead that he has done everything in Jesus' death and resurrection to pay for our sins and to open the way for us to have eternal life as a gift. Praise God, he is glorious and he's good and his great delight is when we trust him. How fantastic that that's what sort of a God he is. He's the sort of God who gives us everything and whose greatest desire is that we just delight in what he gives. What a fantastic God he is. And then thirdly, finally, praise God, he reveals his word to his people. Now, verses 12 to 14 repeat the theme of trust. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your God, Zion. Zion's just another uh, word for for Jerusalem, for for the city. It becomes the, the, the place where God's people are gathered and safe. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Again, he's talking about the trust and the protection But then one theme starts to dominate the rest of the psalm, and that is the word of God. Look with me at 15 to 20. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down hail like pebbles. Who can withstand his icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. 
He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Now, verses 16 to 18 tell us again, as we've seen already, that God rules nature. He sends down the snow and the hail. But okay, but why tell us that? Well, verse 15 says God rules the world by his word or his command to the earth. His word goes forth, it's saying, like rain or hail upon the earth. Okay, what's going on? Well, if you turn back to Psalm 19, it talks there of of really two books, uh, the book of nature and the book of God's law, God's word. That is, God speaks to us in creation. Uh, The whole creation bears his fingerprints. We know there's a God because there's a... There's a, a cosmos. Things don't just appear from nothing. God created it. We know that there is a glorious, mighty, awesome creator because there is a glorious, massive creation. But there is only so much we can work out from just looking around at the world. And the privilege of Israel, of the people of Jacob, verse 19, was that God spoke to them verbally. He revealed his word to them so that they wouldn't just know there is a God, but know the God who is, know his character, know what it means to to love him, to serve him, to be saved by him. Creation tells us enough that all the peoples of all cultures in history have groped around to try to work out what God is like. But one culture Israel was given this privilege that God gave his laws, his decrees to them so they would know his character and know how to live. And so verse 20 says, he has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. But God's plan from the beginning was always that Israel would be the mouthpiece to take God's word to the nations. And so when the living word, Jesus Christ, came to Israel, his followers, uh, the apostles, the early Christians, took the message of salvation, took the message of how we can know God in Jesus Christ, and went to every nation, even as far as London, so that even you and I might join in the praise of this God, because he is a God for all peoples. Okay, those are wonderful truths. What do they have to do with the movie of my life? Well, you can see why the psalmist who knew these things wanted to praise God. But when you see how Psalm 147 fits within the book of Psalms, then you start to see something else. See, Psalms 1 to 2 start really with, um, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, or stand in the council of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is on the law of the Lord. It says, look, there are two ways to live. You either follow God or you don't follow God. And the Psalms is, what does it look like to follow God? Psalm 2, immediately, it looks like trusting in his son, his anointed son. And then the rest of the Psalms outline what life is like if you seek to, to trust God's word, living in obedience to his son. Trusting his son, living in obedience to his word all the way through life. And when you get to the end of the Psalms, there are 150 Psalms. When you get to the end, Psalms 146, 147, 148, 49 and 50... You get five psalms which all begin praise the Lord, as ours does. You get five psalms where there are no prayers asking God for anything. You get five psalms where there are no references to individual needs, no distress, no confession of sin. All the focus is on praising God. 
Psalm 146, individual praise. Psalm 147, as we've just looked at it, communal or people of God praise. Psalm 148, creation praise. Psalm 149, kingdom praise. Psalm 150, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. The book of Psalms ends with five psalms of unbroken, unceasing praise. And there's nothing like that up to this point in the book of Psalms. So what's going on? Well, the compiler, the editor who put together the book of Psalms is saying something to you and me which is awesome and reassuring and very, very exciting. Something that should give you joy and relief if you trust in Jesus. Something that should give you faith and courage as you work out how you're going to live your life. He's saying, whatever your life is like right now, and in the first 145 Psalms, there's been bleakest despair. Psalms of mourning for dead people. Psalms of celebration and wedding. Psalms of delight. Psalms of confusion. There's been all of what we call the rich tapestry of life. But what the compiler is saying by putting these five psalms of just praise, 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 praise at the end. He's saying, whatever your life is like now, whichever part of the journey you find yourself on, whichever scene is being played out in this particular moment. If you trust in Jesus Christ, you can know with absolute God certified certainty that the ending of your life will be full of praise to God. Imagine uh, if they stopped the final Lord of the Rings movie before Frodo had destroyed the ring. Imagine if uh, you stopped the Lion and the Witch in the wardrobe halfway through the final battle before Aslan had come back to life. Imagine if you stopped the Shawshank Redemption before Andy Dufresne had escaped the prison. Imagine if the story of the Bible stopped on Good Friday with Jesus put to death. What sort of story would you think it was if you thought that was the end? you'd have to conclude it's pretty miserable. It's a story of despair. A story where darkness triumphs. But that all changes in the final scene when the ring is cast into the fire of Mount Doom, when Aslan comes back to life and wins the battle, when Andy Dufresne finally gets out of the pipe and escapes the prison, and when Jesus bursts back to resurrection life, everything changes and you know the extraordinary thing is somehow that the story is richer and the joy is deeper because that ending that resolution that victory comes after so much darkness and pain and discouragement and despair the final scene changes everything and I don't know many of you well enough to know what scene is being played out in your life right now. I don't know which psalm matches what's going on in your life right now. I don't know. For some of us, things are great. Things are good. Things are easy. We'd love it if life would just carry on like the way it is. For others of us, things are acute. Uh, We are in real pain, Uh, whether it's uh, the emotional relationship kind of pain, Uh, whether it's uh, health acute type pain, whether it's financial difficulty type pain. Uh, For others of us, it's not acute, it's just the sort of chronic, low-level, ongoing discouragement of a life that just doesn't quite seem to deliver all it had promised. But in finishing the book of Psalms with five Psalms of praise, 
God is saying to you, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever scene you're in now, you know how the movie will end. And you know that the ending will be good. You know the ending will be filled with praise and delight and joy. The reason it's five psalms, not just one psalm, is to, is to also tell you something even better, which is that this happy ending won't end. This is a note which will start now and then be played out through all eternity. This final scene just goes on and gets richer and deeper and better and fuller for time without ends. The ending of the Psalms is God's way of telling you, I know how the story ends, and that ending is very, very good. And that changes everything. If as a Christian you're wondering, uh, can I serve God Can I take a risk for this God? Can I give sacrificially of my time, my money, my emotional energy? Shouldn't I protect myself? It changes everything when you say, well, I don't know how it will play out right now if I take a risk for this God, but I know how the movie ends. I know how the story ends. And I know it ends well. When you're struggling with whether I can obey God and to obey God will be difficult and costly and painful and will take me away from things that I desperately want. It makes all the difference in the world if you can say, yep, it'll cost, it'll hurt, but I know how the story ends and it ends well. It won't stop hurtful things from hurting. But it makes all the difference when you can say, I know how this story ends. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the wonderful honesty of the book of Psalms, for the rawness of the emotions, the anger and rage and disappointment and discouragement and delight and praise. Lord, I thank you so much for this glorious message of hope that you've given us. I thank you that because uh, you are the God like Psalm 147, we know that it will be wonderful to be with you forever. And thank you that because you gave us these five psalms of praise, we know how the story will end. And our Father, we pray that you would fill us with hope and the courage to live self-sacrificial, joyful lives, confident that even if we lose out here, even if we give up much here, even if we endure pain and trouble here, we know how the story ends, and the ending is full of praise. Amen.